You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday at 10.30 a.m. or 7 p.m. We really want dialogue and mutuality to be the center of who we are. And that's, in fact, why we made this meeting. We're like, we're, this meeting is all about dialogue. It's about a place where you can ask the questions. We have questions every week. But I, we're just kind of getting, they're kind of catching up to us. We're, we're, we're kind of getting in the flow together, leading the pack, saying, all right, well, let's just really do it then. Let's do an AMA. Uh, so there's no parameters, but let's not be silly. You know, what, what do you want to talk about? Probably stuff that I, that I can speak to has to do with the human soul and person, uh, meaning, uh, big, big ideas, I can't. I, I can talk about them. I don't have all the answers about them. But uh, I went to seminary, studied the Bible a lot, studied theology, studied some psychology. Those are my expertise. But I'm not doing an AMA because I'm an expert. Because I'm not even an expert in any of those things. I, I, I'm doing an AMA because I want us to have that kind of dialogue. I want us to have that kind of openness. I want like our life together to be an AMA. Especially me. It's my job to like. Answer your phone call. You know, I want to do this. This is, this is really fun for me. So, like, I hope this is the beginning of the dialogue because we don't have enough time to do this for too long. We'll do it for 20 minutes or so. And keep in mind, we started late. It's being, we're, we try to keep this being tight to an hour, but I'm taking my time. All right? Uh, so we've got about 20 minutes to, uh, to ask questions. I'm going to try to keep it brief, my answers. I'm not going to pontificate like I am right now. I'm just kind of trying to warm you up right now. So you're ready to ask your question when, when, so that we don't waste time with too much silence. However, you might have like five questions and you should not ask a second question until everyone in the room has asked their first. I doubt that will happen. So choose your first question wisely and we can continue later. All right? You ready? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. And I might have to, someone here will probably answer a question that I can that's a lot too. Scott. Uh, most exciting, most scary parts of being a pastor lately. Most exciting thing happened yesterday. People getting baptized is my favorite thing. It always has is it? new faith being expressed. We were over at the Cooper River uh, yesterday morning, and I think, let's see, it was Molly and Nathan and Alex and uh, Thomas and Deja. And Lauren, six people got baptized. I got to baptize Did you Deja. Baptized? Yeah, I was really excited. Yeah, I got to baptize Deja, who I met when she was 17. Uh, just kind of out of nowhere, she's going to Camden High, met her through this other program. I've been her mentor ever since. She always introduces me to people as her mentor. And not too long ago, she did that. And I was like, yo, I'm your pastor. Like, I'm not just your mentor. Like, I didn't like, like, I'm. I'm teaching you the way of Jesus. And, and she's like, yeah, you, you're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> um, so now I'm really her pastor because I baptized her and she joined us in our covenant, which is the mutual dialogue center of love that kind of holds this whole thing together from spinning out into nothingness. So that's the most exciting, baptism and Deja's baptism in particular. Um, What's scary? Say again? What's scariest? The scariest is... Um, 
You know, to be totally honest, it, it's it's money and figuring out how to talk to people about money. Uh, we have a significant sharing decrease over last year. Last year we were killing it. We were sharing so much money here, especially in our congregation. And I'm a, as a pastor, I'm a fundraiser. I have to give you a reason. I don't think you should just share because you're a good person. I don't think you should share in the comic club because, you know, you're supposed to. If you do it for that reason, I think you should stop. Well, maybe not. Um, but if, if you have like a bunch of resentment about the money that you're sharing, I think you should examine that. Um, but I'm trying to figure out how to help people understand why it's important. And I think I'm, I think I'm responsible to you. I don't think that like when they're, when the sharing is down, I don't think that like people are a bunch of dumb dumbs or something like that. I think, oh, what's going on? What's up with our leadership? And I'm, not, I'm on a team of pastors, so it's not just me. What do we need to do to respond? And what do we need to help people with? And what do we need to talk about? Because the sharing has decreased by tens of thousands of dollars since last year. What's up with that? Mm -hmm. I'm a little scared about how we're going to pull it off. Thanks. So I spend a lot of time in a couple of churches. I have this one and I have one strapper that I work out in the mornings. And one of the things that I kind of have observed throughout all that experience is that the pastor seems to play a key role in supporting the community. You're kind of like the, the shepherd of the flock, if you will. And so my question to you, what I think would be hard for me, and I'm curious to see uh, what you do in this situation, is how do you remain humble while talking to people of varying walks and mindsets? Like, how do you serve the greatest and the least, if you will? The easiest thing I do is try to nurture a cell movement that makes it so I'm not the primary shepherd of all the people. So I don't have to relate to everyone all the time. So that the cell leader is the primary caretaker for most of the people in the church. That's how we set it up. And so I pour a lot into the cell leader so that they can also be that kind of way. Um, so being humble, uh, I don't know if I do, honestly. <laughs> Um, I'm not a particularly humble person, and I have to um, I have to lean into the, the good sides of my arrogance. I've claimed it as not just a uh, um, an utter sin uh, because I think it has a lot of good qualities to it, but I also have to temper it. So I mean, I talk to you, and we, have, we fight about it. That's what I do. <laughs> I'll vouch for your humility. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, it's definitely something I work on. Probably is my my first. My, the first sin that I identified as an adult was, damn, you're a prideful guy. Man, you're so arrogant. Like, why are you like that? And I, I, I had to struggle with that. And, and really what, what I did a turning point in my late 20s where it was more like, you know what? This isn't all bad. Like, my pride, my, the arrogance actually gets me to do daring things, mm -hmm. like become a church planter. Uh, and if I didn't have that kind of... Um, conviction to drive me, I probably wouldn't do some of the things I do. So, it's a both and. How do you love people that you don't like as people, or you disagree with what they do, like their actions in their life? How do you love them? Yeah. I think the key is compassion. Like, I, I actually practice figuring out, like, even inventing stories for them. Like, like figuring out, okay, this is why you're doing this. Like, I, I, and, and, I, and I'm not committed to the truth when I'm doing it. It's just like, I'm gonna find a way for my heart to be soft towards you. And it must be because someone just like sideswiped your car that you would treat me that way. 
Like there's no reason that anyone would ever treat me that way, or that would ever say something like that to me, or would ever um, um, just rub me that wrong. Like it, it can't be. It can't be your person. It has to be something that happened to you. You know, um, and, and, and it's, it's it's usually more helpful like, to think about their psychology. I I I've I've done a lot of thinking and reading in family systems theory. And so people's parents are all jacked. You know, it's like, no, just a little bit about someone's family. It's like, well, do you know his dad? You know? And that's what they're going to say to my kid, too. But whatever. That's human, <laughs> that's human family. Like, that's how it is. That's why we all need to be saved. Um, so, yeah, I, I have to go to someone's family, try to figure out, okay, like, oh, okay, you're doing pretty good. You know, like, wow, you're not as bad as you should be, you know? But I think the best thing I said in this, uh, as I rambled through that, was I'm not committed to the truth when I'm looking for compassion. I don't have to have like a justifiable story for why I'm gonna love you. Like the reason I'm loving you is for Jesus, and if I need another reason, like which I do because my brain works kind of ways, I'm on, I'm scouting. Like I'm doing whatever it takes to love you, you know? So I'm making stuff up. Oh, that that's just what I'm gonna tell myself about this person. Steve. If you were not a pastor, what would be the next best thing you would want to do? I was a chaplain for two years before I was a pastor and was very tempted to not um, listen to what I felt was my call to be a pastor. So I, I would want to be a chaplain in a hospital again. Um, and then like way off in left field, um, like kind of totally different, uh, probably like a like a, a scuba diving archaeologist or something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Alright. Why why did you have pastors? Well they don't all have pastors. Okay. Uh, I was predominantly is I was just at I was actually just at a Quaker wedding yesterday and it was some kind of beautiful. If you if you don't have like a creed or participate in a community uh, regularly you should get married Quaker style. Like, it's the most honest way to get married. Mm. Like, they, the two people, we're marrying each other. This is, that's what's happening. And we're gonna listen to our friends and family. I mean, Quakers were originally Jesus followers, uh, but especially here in Philly, there, there's not too many Jesus following Quakers. Anyway, so that's a sidetrack. Um, I would say, I can't speak for all churches, um, but uh, Circle of Hope has pastors because we think that it's the best strategy for having something that has enough seriousness to it to really do something in a, in a world that is harsh for becoming a Christian. We need someone really pushing us. We're all, we need someone whose eye is on the ball all the time to help us do what we feel God has called us to do. And it's not just like preaching the word. It's like organizing a community. So I, I consider myself an organizer, an encourager, uh, sometimes an administrator. I was saying earlier, I'm a fundraiser. Like someone's got to do that work, and in my experience in like nonprofits, like I was on a nonprofit board that I that I helped start, we didn't do anything. Like you know, like we did like what we could when we could, which was very little, and the organization did not progress at all the way we needed it to. So we decided to, to hire uh, and a director. a director. It was a part-time director. That's what I mean. Yeah, like why is it like a singular? Oh, because we don't have money. <laughs> hey, you know, like, no, 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 like, like, like organizations. Like, also, we only hire a part-time director at that organization. 
because we could scratch together enough money to have one person do this. And to and when you know when you're getting paid, there's a certain amount of accountability. There's a certain amount of like ethical responsibility. I think it's just how we work. So my answer, in short, is I, it's a practical thing because paid, especially paid clergy, is not like a biblical mandate. Uh, in some of the churches that Paul uh, preached at, he, he he refused to be paid. It was his pride to do something just without getting paid at all. But he also argued that uh, leaders should be paid and taken care of as well. So it depend it depends on the situation. I think we could have a church without without paid leadership or without one personal leadership. Um, to get me out of being the singular person, though, again, we have a cell movement where there are a bunch of pastors. We have a leadership team where there are 37 people that dedicate their, their a lot of their free time to leading the church and they have the responsibility to. Like, I can't make decisions uh, on my own. I, I have to make dialogue happen to make teamwork happen. Pat? Uh, it's kind of a theological one. Uh, What's the gospel, man? The good news of Jesus Christ? That's a super simple answer. answer. Um, there are so many ways to to do that and or to describe that. And I think they're all inadequate. I, I like the good news of Jesus Christ because it encompasses the whole of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, even what he's doing now among us alive. Um, so, boiling it down to something small is hard, and God didn't do it that way. Uh, God did it in a person, and a, per, a whole person's life. And our response to that is a bunch of people embodying that life the best we can. And so I would say that the gospel, if we're doing what we plan to do, is circle of hope. We are the gospel. We are the good news. And we're trying to embody that. Because I don't want to, I don't think I can boil it down to like a, a simple argument. Um, there are a lot of really choice points that I want to bring up right now, but I'm going to leave it at that. Because I think that the gospel now is you know, the body of Christ. It was, it, it was Christ's life, and Christ's life persists in us. Jess? How do you handle doubt, since you're supposed to be, like, the like clearer of doubt for people? I reject that vocation. Yeah. I am not the clearer of doubt. No. no. Bring your doubts on. I don't know who said this, someone famous, but the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. You know? We're do, we're, it's, and, and, and faith is not like only the stuff we can't figure out. You know, faith is, a, is another way of operating in the world. It's another way of, of understanding our lives. It's about trust. It's about that same Jesus, his life among us and related. Um, so faith as a word has um, been appropriated for lots of different 
purposes. So it, it means lots of stuff. I'm trying to get at this one meeting. And um, just a quick little Bible nerd thing about the word faith in the New Testament. It, it, it's this little word, pistis. And um, depending on how it gets translated in a few pretty important places, it's either our faith, like, like, like for example, like faith will, you know, save you. You know, it's your faith, your faith will save you or something like that. But the way that the sentence is, is, is structured, and I'm sorry, I'm not remembering exactly where this happens. I know it's in Romans. It, it's the faithfulness of Jesus will save you. So I think that actually when we have faith, we are participating in the same kind, in the same exact faithfulness that Jesus did. We are participating in his life. And so I think that the, the doubts that, that we have are, are just a part of that. Jesus had doubts too. You know, he's, he, he prayed in the garden. If it be your will, could we do this another way? You know, he wasn't sure. And he didn't know when the father was going to send him back. Like, he doesn't know everything. There, 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 there's some doubt in Jesus because he's a human being. And there's, there's probably less because he had a real close connection. And I think as we develop that life, that close connection, the thing that makes our doubts feel okay, as opposed to like attacks on our faith, is it's not actually like more knowledge in the sense of like understanding. It's more like, well, I just feel it in my bones. I can't deny it. When I say like, nah, I'm not into that, it's, it doesn't feel right. I gotta tell a small story, actually. Gwyneth, my wife, was not a Christian when we met. We met in high school. She was raised in a um, non-religious uh, Jewish family. Hey, Abraham. Uh, and she was, uh, you know, I was kind of ambivalent about my faith when I was a teenager. Uh, but I, when I got baptized, let's talk about baptism earlier, uh, I kind of decided to take Jesus real seriously. And I was going to try for it. And that's when our fights about religion began. And, and I had to figure out how to not be an asshole um, and how to, like, work with that arrogance. That's kind of when it started. And, uh, but we, you know, we persisted in loving each other and talking about Jesus for years. And um, I went away to Mexico. We were doing, like, a long-distance relationship. We were, like, writing letters about Jesus all the time. It's like... I don't know why she stayed with me, honestly. Um, it was so intense, you know. Uh, but she became a Christian, and, and her experience where it kind of tipped over the edge. She was participating in a cell. She was in a Sunday meeting all the time. Uh, and, you know, she goes to church every Sunday, so her roommate asks her, yo, are you a Christian now? Because you go to church all the time. Like, it seems like you're a Christian. And Gwyneth said, No. <laughs> just like, like reflexively and it felt so wrong and that was the tipping point for her where like she couldn't deny him she wanted to that's what she does she denies him that's who she is but but it just felt wrong and that experience that like kind of in your bones kind of thing that's the kind of that's the counter to doubt like that's kind of how the spirit works it's, it's this kind of I just feel it I don't know and I think that we've been kind of set up to, to fight that doubt in this other arena. And that's not, I mean, there's some helpful things we can do up in our heads, but Jesus is going to get in your heart.
How can we be? Do you do you have trouble being a peacemaker in uh, a, a time when there's a lot of people who are really angry uh, for a lot of really good reason right now, especially in our in our country? Yeah. It's like I especially see. people who are kind of calling for violence and, and kind of there's a lot of hate. Yeah. Well, I want to endorse some of the anger. That's that, that's kind of the first. I think there's a lot of really good reasons to be mad, and uh, I think that anger can be a good tool for peacemaking. Because you have to have some conviction to do something, you know. And if if anger is the feeling that you're feeling that helps you get up and do something, I'm for it. And some people I know just experience so much crap. I don't know how you wouldn't be angry, and I just kind of commiserate. I, I'm in solidarity with you. Yeah, you're angry. You know, I'm angry vicariously. They're just angry with you, even though I didn't experience what you did. Um, but the hate, the the calls for violence, um, you know, I can't endorse those because I don't, I don't think I have to be a peacemaker like that well. I think I am a peacemaker because I'm part of the body of Christ. I think that's what I'm called to. That's who I'm told to be. That's what I'm striving towards and so it's this kind of uh it's like a mantle that i wear it's a cape that i put on you know it is who i am uh and it should, and it should be my secret identity that i'm a peacemaker i love peace so much i have a peacemaking tattoo yeah. can't really see it too much but and it's old you can barely read it but it's greek it says blessed are the peacemakers so this has been a really important part of, of my faith is to be a peacemaker. I think it's the I think it's the linchpin of the gospel. What's the gospel? Peacemaking. Forgiveness, reconciliation, setting aside people who have wronged you. So I mean I think and, and, and I'm I'm just so kind of pragmatic about it. I think the best way to be a peacemaker is to be in a cell. And make more cells. Our cells are places where people get together who are different, uh, they have different experiences, different ideologies, and they stick together on purpose. Um, I think that it's that relational connection that's gonna bridge these divides. I think that most people who are hateful, one, uh, wishing violence upon another human being, are, just, are so often completely ignorant of the people that they hate. Like I think hate, ignorance is the main source of hate. And if you know someone, I think most human beings are going to love them. Like, if you actually know them, if you feel them, if you experience some real intimacy with them. I don't even, I don't even, like, yeah, Jesus helps with that. But I think human beings are made for that. Um, they're not just going to kill someone that they know. You know, maybe some, like, you know, I guess 2020, like, jealous lover thing, like, that's always what it is, but that's another story. But you're not gonna like, it's, you have to abstract someone. You have to make them into a distraction to hate them. So I want people to know each other. And I think that uh, I'm pretty well suited for building those relationships, and I think Circle of Hope is dedicated to that. So uh, that's kind of my response. I know that it doesn't affect the whole world. It's like my tiny little mustard seed, and, and it, I'm just praying it'll grow. 
you seem to be a really gifted abstract thinker. Like you're really good at extrapolating out ideas and talking about concepts. Do you have any practices in your team to keep yourself kind of concrete to try and keep yourself grounded? Yeah, being in a relationship probably is the most. Um, grounded makes me think of my, my prayer practice in the morning. Um, I like to pray in silence in the morning. Um, but, uh, yeah, real people, real life, dealing with stuff, that's the... That's what gets me connected, I think. I think we're out of time. Should we go for should we go for one more? What do you think? One more. Dan wants one more. <laughs> Drew. Drew's okay. Drew. Um, where do you see the Sunday night meeting going, say in a few years? Um, both like spiritually and you know, in terms of format? That's a great question. I, I mean, I want to start by saying the best thing about the Sunday meeting is that we do it together. So whatever my idea is that's going to come off the top of my head is not the, uh, the way that I think it should automatically go. But what I'm inspired to do is to connect with uh, local college campuses. We've got um, RCBC, RCGC, Camden County Community College, Rutgers Camden. I want to get into those places because people come from all over the region that we kind of thought of them when we were making this meeting with kind of low barrier for entry, uh, lots of opportunity for dialogue, an opportunity to make something that I think that young people really desire. So that's what I, that's my desire. I mean, I'm going to work at, at connecting them. So. I like the format though. I, I like, I, I especially like that it's ours that we're making it together. And so many people are involved in, 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 and it's not just like my thing. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop down at circleofhope.net.